A highly motivated team of organisers have brought together excellent speakers to help us all understand why a gas-fired recovery is the wrong approach. And you'll be able to share with other people a version of this recording on climactic.com.au. Health was barely mentioned in the first IPCC report in 1992, but two decades later, it's been recognised as the biggest health threat facing us this century. Like unfolding events of climate change, so too we're seeing unfolding health consequences. This is no longer a future prediction. I thought I'd just spell out what Melbourne might expect over the next 20 years, and this is due to climate change that I'm afraid is already locked in. More hot days, warm spells, heat waves, fewer frosts, less rainfall, at least in the winter and spring. When the rainfall comes, there's increased probability that it will be extreme and harsher fire weather. In fact, it's been recently estimated that the kind of fire weather we had at Black Summer would become four times more likely if we let global warming proceed from about 1.1, where we are now, to 2 degrees. But the growth of fossil fuels continues to grow. Coal may be leveling. oil's definitely rising. And gas is rising faster still. Haven't we heard that we can wean ourselves off coal by going to gas instead and it'll be uh, better for the climate? Well, depending on what the process is and depending on its end use, gas does produce about 30 to 50 percent fewer emissions than coal. But if the methane losses are large, this advantage is substantially reduced. And in some cases, the advantage is reduced to zero. That is to say, when you combine the CO2 and the CH4, you're no better off than you are with coal. The Narabai project alone would produce about five megatons of CO2 equivalent at exactly the same time Australia needs to reduce by 7.5 megatons every year in order to meet its 2030 target. In the UK, transitioning to renewables has led the way in the electricity grid reductions in 2017, with gas coming in third after lowering energy demand through energy efficiency. So is there a role for gas? Yes, to firm up increasing renewable electricity generations in the near term, while batteries and other non-carbon strategies are coming online. But even the Australian market operator does not expect that additional gas production will be needed. And we certainly cannot afford additional gas production if we want the climate to stay on the safer side of two degrees warming. The government's announced uh, its blueprint for a gas-fired recovery, and it includes opening up five new gas basins, one of which is the Beedaloo Basin, and that gas basin alone has been estimated by the Northern Territory Government to have around 540,000 petajoules of gas, which is equivalent to about 100 years of Australian gas exports, which are already massive. And that's just one of the gas basins they're talking about. What it's absolutely not about is a COVID recovery, because it fails the basic test of the COVID recovery, which is to create jobs. So what's it really about? The answer is that what it's really about is the government giving taxpayers money to one of its key political constituents, which is the uh, oil and gas industry. And to be specific, the oil and gas industry in Australia, in reality, it's not really about that at all. If it had been about that, we would never have allowed open slather on exports that linked Australian domestic gas prices to global gas prices, which everybody knew in advance would raise gas prices 
which would increase the burden on manufacturing and provide a windfall to the export gas industry. Different industries provide different amounts of jobs per million dollars invested. Education and training, for instance, provides about 16 jobs. Healthcare is about 14. The oil and gas industry are about 0.4. So pretty much the lowest job intensity of any industry in Australia. So supporting any industry other than the oil and gas industry would provide more jobs, which as I've mentioned is the primary aim of any kind of economic stimulus recovery package. Another question I was just going to address was, do renewables need help from gas? Because there's these suggestions that we need gas firm up renewables. Australian energy market operator has told us that. But even if we did, even if you accepted that premise, the cost of renewables, even with energy storage, is far lower than gas. I guess the greatest impact is the fact that farmers don't have a right to say no. There is no legal standing for farmers to be able to say no to infrastructure. So that includes pipelines as well as the gas wells themselves and a whole range of other infrastructure, which is why they make a start in the state forest. Then they spread out um, across farmland from there. There is not insurance coverage available for farmers from the risks of spills and leaks and contamination from gas fields. It will pull up 80 kilograms per minute, every minute, for the entire 25 years of its lifespan of toxic salts. And these are naturally occurring toxic salts, but normally they're buried, you know, a kilometre underground and they're not on the Earth's surface. Um, Currently, there is no plan for what to do with those toxic salts. Every day of uh, this project, the proponents uh, propose to pull up five megalitres of water a day, So just over one and a half swimming pools, Olympic-sized swimming pools every day of water we pulled up. Experts have predicted based on averages that um, there'll be between 15 and 130 toxic spills um, and leaks over the lifespan of the project. It's only in exploration phase at the moment and there's already been a dozen spills in the forest. My name's Ella and I'm 13 years old. And so I'm just going to chat a little bit about school strike for climate. Our part in this movement, I guess, is showing that like the youngest generations are going to make this change and that we know this is affecting our future and we know that change has to come and our leaders have proved to us that they're not doing anything. So it's our job now. And so on September 25, that is our national day of action. It's a gas mobilization. So we're focusing on helping fund our future, not gas. And we'll be having different live streams throughout the day and there'll be like a large a national action. Um, Firstly, in Australia, I'd like to tell you, we live in a pretty robust democracy. MPs are elected as our representatives and they have to represent our views as voters and constituents. Um, that's their job. We've lost a little bit of faith in them, but We actually do have a pretty good democracy in Australia and we need to use it more. They can't know that unless we tell them because they're not telepathic. So we have to tell them what we want. Writing an email is a simple, gentle action, but incredibly powerful. Our incredible experts, Professor Penny Sackett, Dr George Crisp and Mark O. Sally Hunter and Ella Simons for sharing your stories and Sue Dwyer for your excellent facilitation of the email writing. And to you, our audience, for being so wonderful and participative and for your generous donations. We're all going to have another event following the release of the federal budget on the 6th of October. But in the meantime, remember, get your emails out, pick up the phone, 
MPs are our elected representatives. It's their job to listen to us. Of course, this is just one form of action and we encourage you to get involved in all different kinds of action so we can get our voices heard. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Climactic, the flagship podcast of the Climactic Collective, a podcast network dedicated to lifting the voices of the climate community. You can find out more about the people of the Climactic Collective and all the shows on the network at climactic.com.au. Thank you for listening. And until next time, keep up the great work and take care of each other in these climactic times. The Climactic Collective. Collective.